It is October 5th on a Thursday, and this is Studio 2. I'm Cherry Gregg. And I'm Avi Wolfman Aaron. Cherry. Yes. This show was billed as a noontime, <laughs> lunchtime show, and I finally get to ask, are you hungry? Yes, I am. You don't have to wait too long, because right. coming up a little later, <laughs> we're talking about cheese. Madame cheese. Fromage, otherwise known in... Her day-to-day is Tanaya Darlington, will be in studio with us. She's a cheese educator, a mm. self-described stinky cheese advocate, and the author of a new book, Madame Fromage's Adventures in Cheese. So send us your cheese questions. You can call 888-477-9499, or you can email studio2 at org. I cannot wait to funk it up with some cheese. Yes. And it's cold in here already in our studio. It already feels like a cheese cave. We might as well, as you might say, lean into it. Yeah, lean in and snack because I will be snacking. And we're going to move from cheese lovers to flag lovers today. There's a vexillologist meeting in town this weekend. We have the organizer, a flag enthusiast, joining us to talk about his fascination with flags. And the proposed Sixers arena in center city is still hotly debated you probably heard about it we're going to get an update on where things stand and different interest groups weighing in with whyy's aaron moselle but first we're going to turn to some other local news serious story last night in ronhurst a shootout with police led to three officers being injured one person in critical condition and the shooter is dead it's a very sad and scary situation. Uh, and it all began, Avi, believe it or not, from a video game dispute. Reported. That's, That's why police, police were called yeah. in the first place. The police say a 12-year-old was playing a video game inside the home. The father of the child was getting angry about something related to that game. That led to an argument and the uncle, with the uncle of the child, a shot was fired. The uncle and the child went into another room. They called 911. And this is after the man shot the uncle. Now, when police arrived, the man with the gun opened fire and the officers returned fire. All of this happened around 7 o'clock last night on Whitaker Avenue. The good news is the officers are in stable condition. Two were shot in the leg and one was shot in the finger. But the uncle who got shot is in critical condition and the suspect or shooter is dead. I want to place a clip from the interim police commissioner, John Stanford. We go to these these locations and these houses and these jobs to essentially try to fix the problems, right? Find solutions for people. And uh, again, that's one of the dangers of this job, that you just don't know what you're walking up on. Scary situation for the police officers. They go to help. Um, and this is the outcome. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have too much more to add. I mean, honestly, like the web of tragedy here is so broad. And so intense, His families' lives were completely upturned. If I'll be honest, it feels a little hollow for me to sit yeah. here and say I'm sorry or it was terrible when I wasn't there and I don't know these people. And uh, look, it's hard to talk about something like this in our like news chit chat segment at the top of the show. I'm just being honest. Yeah, it's true. Because because I do think it sometimes rings hollow. Maybe listeners will disagree and they can write in and say that it brings them solace or comfort to hear us talk about it. But for me personally, reading this story and reacting to it, like I feel like I, I don't have too much more to add than what the the interim commissioner said. And, um, 
you know, I, I guess I'll just say that I pray for some peace for that family. It's a horrible thing to happen over a freaking video game. Yeah, over a video game. Yeah. But on to some happier news. Yes. Let's transition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Phillies, everyone's talking about the Phillies, beat the Marlins last night 7-1 to one to sweep their wild card series. Uh, there's a big grand slam in the game by Bryson Stott, which means, in summary, the Phillies are moving on to face the Atlanta Braves um, in the next round of the playoffs. It is a rematch of a series that happened last year, and the Phillies had a big upset mm. in that series. The question now, can they do it again? We find out starting on Saturday, Cherry. Transitioning to, to you on the Phillies. Uh, I'm betting on the Phillies. You are, literally? Yeah, I'm going to. Well, no. I mean, come on now. I'm oh, not, not really not, a betting not, woman, yeah. but I am going to bet on the Phillies on this time. I'm going to say they're going to win because I'd like to see them go. You're cosmically betting. Yeah, on the I'm, I'm cosmically. It. Yeah. Figuratively, cosmically, all of that. Not stuff. literally. Not literally. You don't um, sports wager. And, and I'm very proud of myself because I was going to tweet or X at you yesterday because I actually saw that they won. And I was like very excited that I knew like because I know you were going to be like, Cherry, did you watch the game? Cherry, did you know? So I was like, I was going to tweet and just Uh say, I knew they won. (laughs) So there you go. You're proud that you knew the Phillies won the game. Before I got here, yeah. Before, Last I, night, right what? after they won, I saw the tweet. I'm starting no, to get the tweets. No the comment on that. I yeah. am, and I am proud I'm of you I'm paying attention. Well. Thank you. Um, and I am proud of myself. I, I stayed awake the entire game. Yay! It was a big deal for me. I made it all the way to 11 o'clock. First time in a while. Congratulations. But I know how much you love baseball, so there you go. Um, so, if you've been listening to Studio 2, fam, mm-hmm. you know we have talked about New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez's recent corruption charges on the show. But today we have a curious update from Politico. It looks like at least one industry is trying to cash in on the scandal. Mm-hmm. The gold and silver precious metal industry. Okay. Why, you ask? Well, because... I do ask why. Why, Cherry? The, the senator, you know, allegedly took gold bars as a bribe for his influence, and now investing experts are saying putting your money in gold and other precious metals is a shrewd investment. It will protect you against market instability, um, something many Americans should, you know, make happen right now. And in the ads, they say, mm-hmm. albeit not through bribes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, and now let me throw this in there. Costco says, you know, um, they're selling gold bars online, and gold is selling like hotcakes. Okay. Um, so this is a situation where a sitting U.S. senator might may have yeah. taken bribes in the form of gold bars, and some PR person is seeing this as an opportunity they to are. boost the gold industry. Absolutely. What a modern tale that Sounds is. Sounds so American, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of American, uh, it's time for some economics history lesson with okay. Studio 2. Through much of its history, the U.S. was on a form of metallic standard. However, the current monetary system is based on paper money with the government providing the full faith and credit for it. And the more you know. The more you know. But I know people want to go back to that gold standard. Can you imagine people used to carry around their gold? Now we just have paper. What are we talking? We are so off the rails today. So let's move on on to (laughs) drivers um, driving all over our region. Just a note. We wanted to pass this Mm -hmm. along. This is a nice public service announcement from Delaware Public Media. Deer mating season is about to begin. And AAA warns you that that does increase the risk of car crashes because apparently deer act differently during mating season. 
And um, there are more crashes between vehicles and deer from about October through December. So please take heed and watch out for deer. Yeah, and they travel in, in more than one, like little groups. So be mindful that if you see one, there may be others nearby. Um, so now we're going to talk about a controversy that I'm that has been brewing mm-hmm. a lot lately. Um, I have no plan B. That is what Sixers co-owner David Edelman told WHYY's Plan Philly about the team's push to build a new arena in Center City's Market East neighborhood. The Sixers say that the project will revitalize a sagging commercial corridor, but many neighborhood groups, especially in Chinatown, they say it is an existential threat. And the Sixers' current landlord, Comcast Spectacor, has joined the chorus of opposition. So where does this mega project stand as it enters a crucial stretch? To answer that question, we brought in Aaron Moselle, who covers housing and community development for WHYY's Plan Philly. Aaron, welcome back to Studio Two. Good to be here. Aaron, let's talk about this chunk of land that the Sixers want to build an arena on. Currently being used for something, correct? That's right. How did we get to its current use? What's the backstory of the project that sits on that parcel right now? So for the uninitiated, the Sixers want to build their new arena on Market Street between 10th and 11th. And that uh, right now is occupied by the Fashion District, which Mm. uh, was a $350 million revamp of the Gallery Mall, uh, which many people in the listening audience probably remember. Or went to at some point. Or mm-hmm. went to at some point. Um, it, it The structure is the same, more or less. Um, it's still a shopping mall. It's just a little brighter and nicer. Um, and unfortunately, because of the launch uh, coinciding not too long before COVID-19, the fashion district really didn't uh, pan out the way that investors had hoped. And so now they are uh, hoping to sell about a third of it to the Sixers for their new arena. And you said it was a $350 million project. Mm-hmm. Was it privately funded? Um, there was some public dollars, but a lot of private dollars. Got yes. It. So that brings us up to the present. And so now the Sixers want to build there. Um, Lay out why the Sixers have chosen this site and believe that it would be beneficial um, to that part of the city. Yeah, the Sixers, uh, there's obviously basketball reasons uh, that they want to have this arena. um, And just real quickly, they feel that it would position them um, in the NBA in a way that would give them the ability to compete, attract players, maintain those players, win championships, all that good stuff that people want of course, from their basketball team, especially in this city. Um, But beyond that, the broader pitch is about economic development. We're talking about uh, a stretch east of City Hall that has really struggled for decades. Um, You know, ever since a number of major department stores pulled out, there have been numerous efforts, millions and millions of dollars poured into this area to try and get it back on track, and really nothing has worked. Um, it's sort of a hodgepodge of government uses and retail and tourist attractions. Um, so it doesn't really have much of an identity. It doesn't have an anchor. It doesn't have an anchor. Um, and so the Sixers 
part of their argument is let us build this arena here this will be what this part of town really needs this will revitalize and revamp this part of center city that really has no business uh being in the condition that it has been in for years especially if you compare it to what's happening on the west side abroad let's uh, actually hear that sentiment expressed by david edelman sixers co-owner and the person really spearheading at least the public face of this project I think this venue gets people to come downtown. I think it gets people to stay downtown and spend money. On the other side of this, almost Mm -hmm. immediately, uh, folks from Chinatown were skeptical and then outright hostile to this project. What is their argument in synopsis? Their argument is that an arena would basically choke the streets surrounding the arena uh, to a point where people would... Uh, avoid Chinatown altogether. So, so much traffic and congestion that people wouldn't even bother coming down to Chinatown. Exactly. And the Sixers argue, hey, people will go to Chinatown before and after the game. Chinatown is not buying that. Uh, They expect people to go to the game, buy concessions from the vendors that are inside the arena, file out and go home. And so they don't see an economic benefit for Chinatown. What they do see is people avoiding it, rents going up, and eventually Chinatown disappearing the way that another Chinatown in Washington, D.C. has as a result of a basketball arena. And let's play a clip from Debbie Wei, founder of Asian Americans United, just to give you an idea of how Chinatown feels. Yeah, It is, to me, kind of unprecedented to ignore an entire community's unilateral belief and assurance that this is going to destroy them. Now, I don't know if this is unprecedented. We've seen all kinds of communities get pushed around in Philly, but I want to sort of like what has they've been very upset. They've been very outspoken protests. Uh, Talk about some of the resistance that you've seen happen when as Chinatown is trying to fight this project. For context, Chinatown has a really long history of uh, being at the heart of major development news in in Philadelphia. The Phillies um, at one point wanted to move uh, their stadium near Chinatown. You had the convention center over and over. You had the Vine Street Expressway over and over. Mm -hmm. This community, in their opinion, has been put upon by big development, and this is just the latest chapter. Um, And so there's a long history of fighting back, and this is no exception. and then in comes Comcast. Mm-hmm. Comcast Spectacor owns the Wells Fargo Center. That is where the 76ers currently play as renters. Um, it was interesting to me, Aaron, because when this, when this fight first broke out, it was sort of like community activists versus the big bad Sixers. Now it kind of feels a little bit like <laughs> big Comcast versus the big Sixers. Comcast has been more public in its opposition than I would have guessed Personally, I don't quite understand the strategy behind that, but can you try to explain to me why Comcast is so out front here? Yeah, that outspokenness is a more recent development. Uh, They were sort of staying in the background for some time, and you're right now they are more out in front. Um, I'm not sure why they decided to do that, but their argument all along is, look, we got this sports complex thing down in South Philly. It's been working for everybody Nobody complains about it. It's a great space. We want to have all four major teams down there. Why are you? Why do you want to leave? Um, 
And, and the Sixers are like, because we want to own our own property. Right. And yeah. the Sixers' argument to that is, you know, despite, you know, the major investments that you've made in this building to the tune of $400 million, that's how much um, mm-hmm. Comcast has invested in that building to revamp it. Um, you know, we really do want our home of our own. We don't want to share with the Flyers. We want our own space. We want to control our own destiny. Um, and Comcast Spectacor is saying, why do you want to break up the party? This has been a lot of fun, and we've all been making a lot of money at the same time. Hmm. And so we only have a couple more minutes left, but i got to ask you about the stakeholders and the decision makers here. You got, you know, Mark Squilla. This is his district. You got city council, and you have potentially a new mayor coming in. What are folks' thoughts on this? Yeah, I would say the political viability of this project is very up in the air um, because we are coming to the end of a council and uh, a new administration, as you're saying, is coming in. Um, Right now, the fate of this project rests with Mark Squilla. It is up to him to introduce legislation that this project needs to move forward. My take is that this legislation will likely be introduced and we'll just all have to see, you know, how the political process plays out. So it gets introduced. And the question then is who votes yes, who votes no more or That's less? right. And no one's yeah. saying right now because everyone is so quiet on this. And there's, so really this report, there's a report that's going to come there out. There are so three yeah. impact studies yeah. evaluating the project and everyone wants to wait until they see those. By the way, those are being paid for by the Sixers, which folks like yeah. Chinatown and other opponents take issue with. Yeah. So we will have to see. And we, uh, real quickly, the next few months looks like it could be in sort of the hot time for this, right? Yes, no? I think it'll be, you know, start of the year next Start of year. the year. Okay. Uh, that's Aaron Moselle. Just a note, he reported on this issue recently with Kristen Mossberger Garza, WHYY News business reporter. You can read their reporting right now up at whyy.org. Aaron, thank you so much for the time. You bet. Coming up next, Madame Fromage is in the building with a cheese board. Get your cheesy questions in, Studio 2 at whyy.org. Supporting WHYY, Penn Medicine, helping to find new cures for cancer. With life-saving clinical trials and advanced surgical techniques, Penn Medicine is offering more hope for patients everywhere. Learn more at pennmedicine.org slash cancer. Penn Medicine, what's next? Yes, it's not my day, is it? Uh, Belpaze? Sorry. Red Windsor? I normally say yes, but today the van broke down. Ah. Uh, Stilton? Sorry. Gruyere, Emmental? No. Any Norwegian Jarlsberger? No. Liptar? No. Lancashire? No. White Star? And with that, from Monty Python, I say this is Studio 2, and my name is Avi Wolfman Arendt. And I'm Cherry Gregg. Of course, that came from the Cheese Shop Sketch from Monty Python's Flying Circus. So, Avi, I know you love cheese. Do you have a favorite? I don't know how to answer that question, to be honest. It's like, what's your favorite drink? It's too broad a category of thing to have a favorite, in my opinion. I bet our our guest probably agrees with that. Yes, so many, so many. And this is a perfect conversation, I think, for both of us and all the other curd nerds out there. We are talking about all the cheese with Tania Darlington, also known as Madame Fromage. She is a cheese aficionado, a self-described cheese. Stinky cheese advocate, I love that, who travels the world tasting cheese. She has a brand new book out titled Madame Fromage's Adventures in Cheese. Welcome. 
Friends, it's so good to be with you. It's so nice to have you here. <laughs> Thank you for bringing us this cheese board, by the way. We are going to say the word cheese. A lot. A lot. Do not play that <laughs> drinking game. I'm telling you. So uh, if you are a cheese head and you are out there and you have a cheese question, maybe you're a cheese novice. You just mm. want to know some basics um, about storing or pairing your cheese. We want you to give us a call. 888-477-9499. You can also email studio2 at org, or maybe just write in and tell us your favorite cheese and tell me why I should have a favorite because I punted on that answer earlier. But whatever you want to do, please contribute 888-477-9499. And so I wanted to start out um, and just ask you, what about cheese sort of hooked you in now that you're on this path to becoming a cheese expert, sharing the love of cheese all across the world? My mother is from Switzerland, and when I was growing up, she made a cheese board every Sunday for lunch. Wow. And it was a time when my brother and I got to sit and eat these beautiful mountain cheeses. We could drink just like a thimble full of red wine with our parents and have baguette and dark chocolate. And sometimes we would have friends over, um, and it was just such a social time, and it felt so special. So in my life, I've just always made cheese boards the things that I've invited people over for or the thing that I always take to a party. But wasn't there like a transformational experience oh, yes. you had in Philadelphia yes. that like it was like the, the angels came down from the heavens type <laughs> the of thing? Cheese. Yeah. What was what True happened? There? Angels. Yeah. I moved here in 2005. I didn't know a single person. I moved here from the state of Wisconsin, a big dairy state. And I stumbled into De Bruno Brothers in the Italian market yes. looking for a very unusual Wisconsin cheese. And the mongers behind the counter were just like, who are you? How do you know that cheese? If you like that cheese, we've got about 20 other interesting things for you to try. And I I had my first bite of real French Roquefort, and it changed my life. It so, was that good. It was that good. I'd never had anything other than a Roquefort crumble. And being <laughs> handed this, like, beautiful piece of spicy blue cheese at, like, 10 in the morning uh, by, like, a guy covered in tattoos. It was, like, just so memorable. And I thought, I'm going to eat every cheese in this <laughs> shop. And uh, and I started a blog called Madame Fromage. And I chronicled eating all 350 cheeses in the store. And That's then awesome. I wrote a book with them about it. And now you are you know, a cheese aficionado. And by the way, your Instagram page is delightful and amazing. And your um, obsession and love for cheese is very infectious. So I want (gasps) to ask you some cheese basics because I'm the person who's at the cheese board just slicing and eating and slicing and eating, Mm -hmm. having no idea what I'm eating or slicing. So if you could just tell us basics, how how does cheese get its flavor? Like, Mm. because it's so delicious. Well, the best cheese really comes from grass-fed animals. And so the mm. flavor is really coming from well-cared-for soil, uh, delicious grasses, a mix of um, when there's herbs, wildflowers, things like that in the in the feed. Those flavors come through the milk. So that's why some of your best cheeses come from these mountain meadows uh, of the Alps or the Great Pyrenees because – the meadows hold just the most beautiful kind of landscape, and also it just transfers right into the milk, which imbues itself into the cheese. Also, there's things like cave aging and rubbing the cheeses on their surfaces, sometimes giving them a little sponge bath with wine or beer. Those add flavor, too. We are mm. speaking with Tania Darlington, a.k.a. Madame Fromage. Uh, her new book is Madame Fromage's Adventures in Cheese. So if what the animal eats is a big factor— what are the other biggest factors in, like, how the cheese 
kind of like constitutes, right? Because you have the harder, mm-hmm. the softer, the yeah. rind, the you know, it's like what are the factors that control all of that? I'd say the longer a cheese is aged, typically the more flavor it has. Okay. And in the cheese world, you talk about the journey. It's sort of like uh, the flavor path that you taste. That's like an official term, it by the way. It is the, the journey. Che- the which cheese journey. I love, it's, right? Mm. It's like you're noting what is my initial taste when I put it on my tongue. Then as it begins to soften, does the taste change? Then once I swallow, what do I notice about the aftertaste? Does it linger like a bold cheddar? It could like linger for a minute. Or is it like fresh and clean and like it just goes away softly? So there's so much that goes into cheese from aging, from the maker's touch like the lightness of someone's hands scooping up brie curds that can change the way it can tastes. change the way it tastes wow. there's so much chemistry but then I also just say like artistry and intuition hmm. and so you have a very mature cheese palate but for a lot of people they start with the singles uh-huh and we all just said cheese. that's not real cheese not I just want to can we just for the people out there who thought you were eating real cheese <laughs> that's not real cheese so what makes a you know, what, what's the difference? Tell oh, us the difference. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you've got industrial cheeses that could be made with quality milk or it could be made with milk powders and oils. Um, but I really love like the artisan cheese where someone is taking care of their animals, milking them, and then going like direct. Sometimes that milk goes in directly into the vat and they're producing cheese immediately. That The freshest milk um, going into the vat makes usually the best cheeses. And so walk me in. I'm going mm-hmm. to the cheese section yeah. of my local let's say I'm going to a fancy grocery store mm-hmm. or whatever or mm-hmm. just your regular one doesn't even one. have to be what, your like regular to, one what should I'm always you be like because we have this beautiful cheese stores. board here mm-hmm. um, what should you be looking for if you say you know what I want to put something together I want to seem somewhat sophisticated mm-hmm. but not overwhelm my guest what should you be looking for if you oh, go into the cheese section oh there's a couple section? of keywords couple of keywords okay. are you ready for it yeah I'm ready yeah. Okay. one is the word farmstead it means that the cheese is made on the farm where the animals were raised. That's so a good thing. That's farm. Okay, I'm yeah, that down. it's great because it means mm-hmm. that probably the maker is taking care of the animals, taking care of the pastures. So it's a closed circle. Farmstead cheese. If you ask for farmstead cheese at a cheese shop, they'll be like, "Oh, you're serious." I love raw milk cheeses. Okay, that means. Milk is not pasteurized, but it's probably been cared for very lovingly with a lot of uh, But some people attention. are scared of that. Some are. Um, I tend to think, I mean, that's how cheese is made traditionally, so that's why I'm always seeking out raw milk cheeses. Your aged cheeses. Um, You're giving us the courage to yeah, eat yeah, raw yeah. milk Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like if you eat yeah. Comte, the most popular French che- table cheese, it is required by law to be raw milk. So there's that. And the last thing I would say would be PDO, Protected mm-hmm. Designation of Origin. That's for mostly cheeses from Europe. That means that it's highly regulated. The recipe is being attended to. Um, and you're getting something that really comes from a place. Hmm. So this would be like Brie de Meaux, which can only uh, Brie, which can only be made in the village of Meaux, the town of Meaux. And so it's something that's been created there for decades for centuries really a little bit like champagne can only be made in the champagne region pdo cheeses are are, are uh, location specific pdo tradition specific i'm yeah. writing all this down those those are my notes. High quality cheeses. yes give so farmstead a- raw milk pdo those are my go-tos mm-hmm. give me a copy of those notes after i will um, <laughs> so uh i'm going to bring in a question here from brad who lives in winwood and I'm going to use it as a springboard to, to start eating some of this cheese. Okay. Let's go, Brad. Brad wants to know whether to slice your cheese thin or thick. And I've got, what is the cheese I'm holding up right here? You're holding up Mary Goat Round. Little Mary Goat, goat Round. 
goat milk brie style cheese from the state of Maryland. Oh, our home state, Joe. Yes. Um, and so should I be slicing this thick or thin? How should I slice it? You this? just slice that like a cake because it's a little okay. round. Okay. And for Brad out there, Brad, I always feel like a thin slice is best because you want the cheese to melt on your tongue a little bit as you taste it. Um, whenever I see a cheese cube, for example, I always feel like it's just like a little too... It's like eating a wad of gum. So I like a thinner slice of cheese. A thinner slice of That's cheese. That's just me personally, though. But if it's a wedge, you know, it's a wedge. Go to town. All right. So what am I pairing this with? Well, I brought you a little bit of an apricot jam, which nice. I think could be so beautiful. Now, this, friends, I think of as a great night cheese. It, night it's, cheese. It's made from goat's milk, but it's a mm-hmm. breeze-style cheese, which seems decadent. But goat's milk is the lightest of all milks, so it's easy to digest. Okay. Mm-hmm. So do we smell the cheese oh, first? Oh, smell that cheese. So what do you okay. notice? What am I noticing here? What are you noticing? It smells smooth. Okay. Sort of fresh. Nice. Yeah. Kind of like fresh milk? Fresh Fresh milk. milk. Yeah. Do you get any grassiness? Some grassiness for sure. See, once you start saying like the. It is quite suggestive. It is quite suggestive. I have to be honest with you. This is the tantra of cheese. Are you getting mushroom? (laughs) (laughs) Are you getting a little bit of uh, damp cave? This is what people want. They want to hear people. They want to hear people eat cheese on the radio. This and it, but you know what? It looks okay. very smooth. I will tell you. And um, and what's the little casing called? Mm. That's a rind. You got the paste, which is the center, and the rind. Mm. And no. the rind is is I feel like sometimes has flavor notes all its own. This mm-hmm. is delicious, by the way. That's my I'm tasting so note. And between um, taste, am I supposed to sniff my elbow? Is that true? <laughs> it's true that if you were to judge cheese professionally, they do a little bunny sniff inside the elbow to kind of neutralize. neutralize my palate. Oh, yeah. exactly. it's like it's like when you sniff um, like uh, with coffee. Sure, you know when you're smelling different smells. So mm. why so apricot good. jam? Like, tell oh me the pairing. Why? I'll Why tell you. Just, yeah. You know, goat's milk, it's a little tangy, as in like a little yogurty, mm-hmm. so it has a tartness, and so it always pairs well with something else that is tart. So it's a little acidic, the cheese or the milk, and so I like it with something a little bit acidic, apricots, you know, they're a little tart. So how would I know? Like, I mm. go to the cheese store, and I get this. How would I know that this is the cheese to pair with something like that? You know what? I just say just try start it. rifling through your pantry. Oh yeah, I'm always like, huh? Slather what would chocolate chips be like with this? Mm. Huh? Can mm. this go with it tomorrow? Yeah, this is amazing. But generally, like stone fruit jams are terrific with cheese. So are berry jams. It's really hard to go wrong with a jam or honey and cheese. Um, I had the same question that Tiffany from Philadelphia asks: Can you get good cheese at your local grocery store? Um, or do you have to go to a cheese specialized store? Right. Can I like? Can I just tweet that question a little bit? Mm-hmm. Of the cheeses that you might find at a typical grocery store, do you have like a favorite or your one that you would consider like kind of acceptable just to, to grab at the store and go? Sure. I mean, like feta is a great value cheese, a sheep's milk feta. That's something I grab anywhere and everywhere. Mm. I generally think like your aged cheeses from the grocery tend to be better sometimes than your soft cheeses. Huh. For me personally, I like to go to a cheese shop where the cheese is not necessarily all shrink-wrapped. Yeah. I want to maybe be able to taste it. I want to get a fresh hunk cut from a wheel. Shrink-wrap bag. Well, it's just that cheese begins to suffocate. Begins to suffocate in there. So it starts to get a little bit of a flat note. You might not detect it unless someone eats gobs of cheese. (laughs) (laughs) And if you are... Like you. Yes. Yes. A lot of cheese. Um, uh, (laughs) If you just tuned in, we're speaking with Tanaya Darlington, a.k.a. Madame Fromage. The author of Madame Fromage's Adventures in Cheese, brand new book is out. We want to hear your cheesy questions. Give us a call, 
877-949-4799. You can also email studio2 at whyy.org. So um, people are emailing in. Thank you guys for emailing in. Um, email from Marisol says, are raw milk hard cheeses safe to eat? You kind of touched on that. Mm-hmm. Also, aren't soft young cheeses in Pennsylvania required to be pasteurized? And and Marisol shouts out all the great farmers in our region. We yes. have an embarrassment of riches with, with many, many great, great local, local cheese makers. We did found at some farmers of them are Marcus. in this book, yeah. by the way. Yeah, Absolutely. I should mention that. So Absolutely. the question, so the question though, is: Are raw milk hard cheeses safe to eat, and aren't soft young cheeses in PA required to be pasteurized? pasteurized. Okay, yeah. Good question. I think there's so much confusion about this. You know, you go to Europe, you can eat any cheese that's raw, just mm-hmm. like in this country, you can eat raw oysters. Um, But we have this FDA law that any cheese in the United States must be uh, aged at least 60 days Mm. in raw milk. Um, So raw milk, hard cheese is always, yes, of course, safe to eat. Um, Any cheese under 60 days old, which is like your breeze, your camembert's, Mm -hmm. Always have to be pasteurized, whether they're made in PA, whether they're made in New York State, whether they're made in France. We do... Oh, we have someone on the phone, but I want mm-hmm. to be eating cheese while we talk with them. Okay. Let's see the second cheese. <laughs> we just introduce you the second cheese? You are holding up. This, this, does she not look gorgeous? This is like a, a creamy, fudgy cheese with like an orange shirling jacket is what it looks like. She's got this rumply rind. such a good description. I am so jealous. That's amazing. <laughs> she is out for her October walk. Her name is Rebby Roos. Okay. Rebby Roos meaning Rebby meaning sheep, red meaning, or roos meaning red. So it's a red sheep's milk cheese from France. Rebby roos d'Argental is a cheese I started putting on the menu at Tria, uh, and it became beloved by the staff. So I mm. wanted you to taste it. This, to me, is a cheese that's a conversation piece. I like to start with a comfort cheese. That's why we had our yeah. Bristol mm-hmm. cheese. And then I like a little conversation piece. This on one's going to shock like, me a What is bit? that? And this, yeah. It is going to be like sinking into a feather bed of um, sheep's milk custard. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm giving it a sniff. It's, it's a little spicy. Okay, it has a natto along the rind. Okay. That's what's giving it the color, orange uh-huh. color. Um, it's and it's blaze soft. Orange. It yeah. is. It's creamy and custardy. And it smells nice, though. I'm so it's, happy It smells to hear very that. creamy. It does. Sheep's milk, the richest of the milks, high butter fat. Oh so my gosh, this so yeah, buttery. buttery, and it and it mm. almost smells a little sweet to me. Mm-hmm. Sheep's milk can be a little sweet, a little herbaceous. I just think this is a beautiful, beautiful, like, pleasure craft. Say the name one more time. Brebby Roos. Brebby Roos. All right. And uh, I feel now, the flavor kind of intensifies okay. as it after it hits your tongue for Wonderful. a while. I don't know. I feel like note. look wow. how your palate is <laughs> developing and stretching. Dang, look yeah. at that. All right. I'm going to step up my game on the next cheese. In the meantime, uh, Stacy has a blue cheese question oh, and it's I on love, the line. I love this. We love blue cheese questions. Me too. Stacy, you're on studio too. Hi there. I, you know, This is probably a really, really rookie question here, but how can you tell when blue cheese goes bad because it already has mold in it? That's a gr- that, I think that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Stacey. Right. This is why blue cheese always tastes good. Have you noticed that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how can you tell if it goes bad? I would say if a cheese goes bad, it tends to smell really, really strongly of ammonia. It doesn't mean it's bad. Oh, it just ammonia. means it's a bit overripe or okay. maybe it's been in its container too long. Typically, you can leave it out for about 30 minutes. The ammonia smell should evaporate. But it does mean if cheese smells strongly of ammonia, like eat it today or tomorrow. Got to ask huh. you a, a question about lactose intolerance, Let's go. people. Yeah, because the softer cheese, like what types of cheeses are safe? I'm, mm-hmm. I can be a little um, irritated sometimes by um, 
things with lactose in it, but cheese for some reason does not bother me. Wonderful. And I just, are, is there a range? Yeah, there is. Tell me about that. Sure. Plenty of people in the cheese industry are lactose sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you want to typically avoid if that's your issue would be fresh cheeses like ricotta, mozzarella, yeah. burrata. Um, your aged cheeses like a cheddar or anything older, so like your cheddars, your parms, your manchegos are f- usually fair game mm-hmm. because the lactose is broken down through the aging process. Mm. But typically fresh cheeses, if you're going to be irritated by something, it would be something fresh. Random thing I learned in this book, mm-hmm. cheddar is a verb. We don't have to do the whole backstory, but cheddar is a verb. Use it in a sentence. Read it in the book. Cheese, you can cheddar cheese. You can cheese. Cheddar cheddar gets cheddared. Cheddar gets cheddared. Okay, well, well, you have to read the book to get the the reference. Okay, but I want to bring in a a comment Mm -hmm. from Melanie from Fishtown who wants to know, (laughs) this is a kind of funny question, is there a good vegan cheese? I guess oh, just Mel- one would suffice. Melanie, you tell me. Because <laughs> you don't eat, you like, I want well, the cheese cheese. I've eaten some vegan cheeses for sure, but um, I, ju- I just love the taste of milk, and I love the taste of cheese. So I think of vegan cheese is usually more like a, kind of like a nut pate. Some of them are quite delicious, but to me it's, it's a nut or a coconut milk pate huh. rather than, I just don't think of it as a cheese. Just so like I don't think of like a vegan burger. So it's not like that it, as a, there, yeah, there are yeah, things yeah, that yeah, taste yeah. good, but you're mm-hmm. saying to you, they don't taste close enough to cheese to be considered cheese. Well, I would say that's accurate. Yeah. I have had, there's like a, a really delicious vegan uh, cheese style product made here in Philly called, um, I know it's called Barn Cat. I've seen it at Barn uh, Cat, yeah. my local grocery co-op. Um, so yeah, there are some you know good vegan products out there, I think. But again, since I'm someone who loves cheese, that's what I'm looking for. Bandit Barn Cat? And Bandit, that's yeah, it, yes. Okay. Thing. And that's like a cave-age vegan cheese. Really interesting. Thank you, and Google. And so let's talk about this final cheese that has a little oh, yeah. sprig here. And I'm yeah. going to try to Is that rosemary? Yeah. Yeah. So I I always want to bring something local or regional. This is called Wild Rosemary from just outside Pittsburgh. The mm-hmm. company is Goat Rodeo Dairy. Goat Rodeo. Love the name. <laughs> That's a great name. It's kind of a Manchego style cheese. If you've ever seen a Manchego rolled in rosemary, mm-hmm. um, this is kind of an homage to that. It is a it's cow goat mix. Yeah. It's a mm-hmm. firm cheese. So it's an aged cheese. Mm-hmm. I just think it's wonderful for the season. I love a cheese that's rolled in leaves or or you know. Um, press with fresh herbs like this. This cheese is actually massaged with olive oil. Yeah, and oh, you can smell that. with rosemary. Mm-hmm. This is just such a good snacker. Mm. So you would just sit here. Sharp. So how do you eat yeah. your cheese? Like you just sit around like chopping off pieces just like as I would you do? Are. Yeah, just as you are. Usually with, you know, with some, some nuts, some honey, some snacky things. A lot of, mm-hmm. I love like raw vegetables and cheese. I don't eat a ton of bread with cheese because I feel like that fills me up. Mm-hmm. Um, but You're I like, I need some space for the cheese. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Get all that bread. Don't grab it up with bread. You know, this is the cheese yeah. lifestyle. Welcome to it. And we are loving living it. I want to bring in at least one more email here before mm-hmm. we have to go. This is from Matthew. It's a very specific question. Mm. Well, this might be a Love stumper. It. Let's see. Mm. I grew up in northern Italy, and mm. the most common cheese was called Latteria, L-A-T-T-E-R-I-A, which just means dairy cheese. Mm-hmm. It was mild but delicious, and there were younger, more aged varieties. What's the closest I can get here in America? Oh my gosh, it's such a brilliant question. I wish I, knew. I was just in northern Italy. I really? wonder if he's from P- Piedmont. Um, and I'll be back there next year, so I'll have to take a look around. I have no idea. I'm wondering is it a kind of a soft cow's milk cheese? Is it a sheep's milk cheese? Like this a, is our homework. This mm-hmm. is homework. Lateria. I'm going to go look it up. Lateria, okay. That's a stumper, which I love.
and we only have like a minute and a half or so, but I got to ask you about mm. pairing with drink, mm. specifically wine. Um, how do you sort of like decide? How do you what's navigate that whole world? Question. Mm-hmm. White wines generally much easier to pair with cheese than mm-hmm. red. Red cheeses, you want to go sheep's milk or aged. That's like my easy way oh, of thinking about simple, it. Oh, that's a simple. You made it. So that's so little, helpful, though. That's and so helpful. my final tip is bubbly. So like a Cremant or Prosecco or Cava or Champagne, great with all cheeses. Oh, interesting. Cleanses the palate between bites. You just can't go wrong. Well, you are great with all cheeses. Tanaya Darlington, mm-hmm. uh, a.k.a. Madame Fromage. The new book is Delicious. Madame Fromage's Adventures in Cheese. And before you go, I just want to mention you have something coming up called The Cheese Ball on October 25th. Where can people 21st. go? 21st. 21st. More information. Where is that? MadameFromage.net or Eventbrite. All right. The Cheese Ball is coming up. Don't miss it. Also, don't miss our next segment. It's all about flags, Cherry. Flag enthusiasts from around the country are flocking to Philly. We'll find out why. Coming up next. My man got sick. They put him in the bed. Took him to the doctor. Now this is what the doctor said. Cheese and crackers, anyone? Supporting WHYY, Penn Medicine, helping to find new cures for cancer. With life-saving clinical trials and advanced surgical techniques, Penn Medicine is offering more hope for patients everywhere. Learn more at PennMedicine.org slash cancer. Penn Medicine, what's next? At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. This is Studio Two. I'm Cherry Gregg. And I'm all hopped up on cheese. <laughs> I'm hopped up too. <laughs> My name is Avi Wolfman Aaron. Uh, Cherry, we're going to start yes. this segment with a joke. What's mm-hmm. the best thing about Switzerland? Um, cheese? <laughs> I don't know, but the flag is a big plus. Oh, okay. Oh, I, missed, I didn't <laughs> nail the landing. I'm so sorry. Um, okay, this weekend, flag experts from all over the country will descend on Philadelphia for a meeting of the world's largest organization of flag enthusiasts Ooh, and flags. scholars. Vexillology, say that three times fast. That's the term for the study of flags, their history, their design, and their symbolism. Yeah, we're moving from cheese love to flag love now. We are fascinated by this topic. So we've invited local vexillophile. Did I mess that up? I, I probably I did. always mess it up myself. <laughs> uh, Simon James to join us on Studio 2 today to nerd out about flags and teach us a little about this interesting field. He's volunteering at the NAVA conference this weekend, and he's sitting across from me right now. Simon, welcome. Howdy. Good afternoon. Simon, um, I don't think this is a stumper, but I, I would love for you just to tell me about a historical flag with a cool backstory that like the average person wouldn't know about. There are so many to pick from. There are so many uh, interesting stories. Um, I thought about, uh, uh, you know, obviously I'm overthinking things when I came on today. And I, <laughs> I figured maybe the, uh, 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 how about the flag of the Netherlands that has, uh, right now we think about it as the red, white, and blue flag. Yep. I'm not going to talk about the history so much, but I want to talk about why it's red 
instead of it started out as orange. Yeah, how did it go from red to orange? Right. Um, so uh, one thing that I like to uh, really hit hard is that flags are physical objects. Flags exist in space. Flags can be touched. Flags have to mm. be sewn, that sort of thing. Flags are dyed. Um, so yes. orange, white, and red, uh, uh, the Dutch went around the world with their ships, came back, and the yellow dye bleached faster than the white, uh, faster than the red dye, because you know or- uh, oranges, yeah. uh, red and yellow. So when they got back into port, there were red, white, and blue flags, and they're like, "Well, why are we spending money to put the yellow <laughs> dye in here if it's just going to be red, just white, and blue?" Stick at the with end? the red, white, and blue. Exactly. Um, so that's why you see uh, uh, flags like um, New York City, which is an uh, orange, white, and blue flag modeled on the old Dutch flag before they changed it to just be ah, red, white, and blue. Because the Dutch were the original colonizers of Manhattan. Wow. Fantastic. Precisely. See, that's exactly what I was asking for. Thank you, Simon. So, Simon Joseph, got to ask you, um, what makes a flag a good flag? <laughs> I, I, I Are there kind of, elements right, the to elements. a great flag? Yeah. So, um, Nava has a, a good flag, bad flag pamphlet um, with five guidelines. And I want to say guidelines. These are not rules. These are not laws. These are just things that you should consider when making a flag. Mm-hmm. Number one is keep it simple. This is a piece of fabric that is going to be flying often 50 feet in the air. Number two, make it meaningful. Obviously, you don't want to throw random colors onto a piece of uh, uh, onto some fabric. Um, you want these things to be meaningful, shapes that have meaning to the region or whatever. Two or three colors. Again, we mm-hmm. have okay. – you're going to hear me say this a hundred times, uh, uh, two or three colors. No lettering or seals. Because mm, okay. if you think about a, a flag that's flying at the top of the flagpole at City Hall, you can't read that. You certainly mm-hmm. can. You know, you can't make out all the little particular details. Um if you take a look at the Philadelphia, or if you can conjure up the Philadelphia flag, there's a cornucopia on it. Do you think anybody looks nope. at and says how many pieces of fruit are coming out of that cornucopia? No way. You know that's an extra element that mm-hmm. doesn't need to be added. Um, and finally, be distinct or be related. Mm. Um, distinct, okay. right? Yeah, break that down a little bit. Distinct or related. So okay. distinct, I think, is uh, uh, interesting. But I want to come back to the Netherlands flag, which is uh, so red, white, and blue. Um, and this is where I get to stop and say, I'm not a historian. Mm-hmm. I am a person who likes to tell tales of flags. <laughs> That's so, our favorite type of person, right. Simon. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, according to lore, uh, possibly Peter the Great was in a shipyard in the Netherlands and said, hey, Russia needs a flag. They got this red, white, and blue flag here. Why don't I just take off the stop, t- the top stripe excuse mm-hmm. me, um, and put it on the bottom yep. to make the Russian flag of white, blue, red? And then you have this, uh, as time goes on, this pan-Slavic alliance come to, get to be, um, people that oriented more towards Russia, um, which is, uh, uh, so then you see flag of the Slavic states turn into red, white, and blue flags. This is oh. why the flag of Croatia, the flag of the Czech Republic, the flag of uh, the former Yus- Yugoslavia same palette, yeah. have yeah. this red, white, and blue palette over yeah. there. Exactly. Um, and so those are all... Related, they all pull from the shared history, but they're all mm-hmm. they're distinct but related. There distinct, it is. There it is. Related. Thank you so. for that. So you mentioned the Philly flag, um, and you mentioned mm-hmm. how people might not even be able to conjure it here okay. in Philadelphia because it's no one flies it. Yeah. And you and I was going to ask you why it stinks, but I think you kind of already <laughs> answered the question. It's not simple. No. Right. right. Um, it's full of these seals and letters and like sort of small images. 
do you have a proposal for how we could rework <laughs> this? Because like we come from well, let's DC, describe the, the way it is now. Right. Yeah, describe it, the way yeah. it is now. And I'll, I'll push it back against it. Stinks. Okay. I, I know that I, I don't want to. Um, no one what flies any, it though. True, um, and I think that is except um, the flag lady. She runs. There was a flag. Exactly. Exactly. Oh God, I can't remember her name. That's okay. Um, I don't. I w- don't want to say it stinks, and I, I just want to say that I would prefer a simpler flag. Mm. Um, I have run different flag contests. So um, one of the things that gets people into flags and is flag design. Vexillography uh, uh, is the uh, drawing of flags. And uh, there's an actual word for it, and I forget it, and uh, <laughs> I should avoid the terminology uh, because I can't say it. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, to make a better Philadelphia flag, so maybe something that incorporates um, the original four squares of Philadelphia. You mm. know, um, maybe something that doesn't necessarily have to uh, go back to Sweden. We have a, a blue, yellow, blue flag. Do we really need to be conjuring up Sweden when we think Is of Philadelphia? Is that why it's yellow and blue? Yes. Yeah. Because and the Swedes so were here a long, long, long time ago. Precisely. Yeah. And yeah. it's like this lighter blue with the yellow in the middle. Yeah, right. it's, it's a very... I mean, I happen to think they're nice colors. Mm-hmm. I, I happen to like that aspect of the flag. But it doesn't speak to modern-day Philadelphians. It doesn't necessarily speak to even 19th-century Philadelphians. It certainly doesn't. And so we only have about a, a minute or two left. But i got to ask you, there's the big conference. What makes Philadelphia a great place to have a conference for flag enthusiasts? Well, I think we have, well, number one, uh, just a great history. Um, uh, uh, a lot of interesting flags have come out of here. Obviously, we have, uh, um, the, you know, the, the, the Betsy the Ross. One. The big one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but also... Uh, um, the history about that, we have some old flags surviving. Um, but more importantly, Philadelphia has some great restaurants. Philadelphia has. <laughs> You're you here know, for the food. Got absolutely. Great cheese. Great cheese indeed. I'm sorry I didn't bring any snacks. Um, well, we can give you some cheese. Right. I'm into that. Um, but yeah, so many great reasons to uh, bring any conference to Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to, before we go, just name there's a couple of talks that I saw on the schedule that were very fascinating to me Birds in Vexillology. And capture the flag, the grim reality behind a child's game. Ooh. If you're interested in either of those talks, you can go to the big conference this weekend. That is Simon Joseph, a NAVA volunteer and Vexilophile based right here in Philly. There is a great story featuring Simon, written by reporter Mayor Rindy, up right now on Billy Penn. Simon, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. And that wraps our show for today. Our producers, friends, are Debbie Builder, Paige, Murray Bessler, and Andreas Copes. Joan Isabella is WHYY's audio general manager. Al Banks is the engineer for today's show. You can head on over to WHYY.org slash Studio 2 or download us wherever you get your podcasts. From Studio 2 at WHYY in Philly, I'm Cherry Gregg. And I'm Avi Wolfman Aaron, waving that white flag. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) 